brand new Mac and oh, it's looking clean. It's the after party live from the mountains. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, I'm just singing the intro myself today because I'm doing something different. I'm recording this, like I told you guys, in my iPad Pro video review that I'd be recording this podcast episode on the iPad Pro itself now that it has, quote, podcast quality mics. So I'm recording this in Ferrite Pro with no external mic hooked up. So this is just what it's going to sound like, I guess. And so I'll be interested to hear it myself and see what it sounds like. But you guys give me some feedback. Hit me up on Twitter or Instagram or something and let me know how it sounds. And I just figured it's going to be easier to produce this today without messing with all the different sound files and and whatever. So we're just going straight off the iPad. No intro music today. It'll be back next week. It has been uh, an interesting week. I've actually been a little bit sick, and I don't know (laughs) what it was. I can tell you that I had a headache. I can tell you that uh, I had some aches. I can tell you that I had a mild cough that got a little bit worse, and I could tell you that I'm getting better. I'm feeling a lot better. Um, I sound a little bit weird in the iPad Pro video itself, and thank you to everybody who was like, hey, Chris, hope you feel better. Really appreciate that. I hope you guys are feeling all right, too. I don't know exactly what I had. I know it kind of sounds like it could be the thing, right? But... Uh, needless to say, I didn't get a test or anything. It wasn't that severe where I think I could have even gotten one. But I'm just thankful, though, that I, I'm feeling better. But unfortunately, it did sort of mess up my schedule. The iPad was sitting there. You know, I wasn't in a state where I could, like, record and, and sound like a normal human being on the video. So even though I sounded kind of funky in the video, uh, I was sounding a lot worse. But it kept me from doing my iPad review for several days, which is too bad. I wanted to get out on Monday and I just got it up yesterday, which is Thursday by the time I published this. So, so thanks for your patience. I I do think it was kind of interesting if you haven't seen it because I actually recorded um, the a roll or the talking head shots on the iPads rear cameras in 4k. And I think it turned out pretty good, you know, just to give you a realistic view of like what you can do and produce with the iPad. Because I've been saying forever, uh, you can shoot, then edit, and then publish some content, whether, you know, I guess video or photo stuff or even podcasts like I'm doing right now, all on one device. And that's pretty cool. I've been saying that forever. So sort of like me, uh, to put it in startup terms, eating my own dog food, you know, practicing what I preach. And I think it did turn out pretty well. So I didn't like professionally light it or anything. And some people, I got several comments like, well, you just needed some more light and stuff. But I don't know that I kind of didn't do that on purpose because I just wanted to show it off like somebody might just use it, just setting it up in a room somewhere and and going for it. And actually, some people were like, hey, I really like the look. It was more amateurish kind of. And maybe people connected with that a little bit more. I don't know. But I'll probably be back to the regular studio setup after this. Uh, But I should do that more often, I guess. I'm kind of thinking, you know, we have rumors coming that uh, the new iPhone SE, the 2020, is, the rumors were that it was going to be launched today. And by the time this comes out, I don't know if that will have happened or not, Um, but it it sounds like it's going to be pretty imminent, like could happen any time. So, of course, I plan on getting one. It's only going to be 400 bucks. I'm really excited to see what it's going to do. You know, supposedly 400 bucks. We'll see. 
But I could do the same thing with that, you know, shoot the A-roll uh, with that phone and see how it turns out, show you guys what it can do. Let me know if that's something you guys want to see. But I have to tell you, if you follow me on Twitter, you were sort of following this saga <laughs> of something that was happening uh, with the iPad Pro this week. I shot that talking head footage on the iPad itself, and I was trying to get it off the iPad um, to actually edit it. I could have edited um, on the iPad, but I, I just, you know, being sick and everything, I just wanted to get it off and do do it on the MacBook just like I would normally do because I'm used to it. I know. Sorry. But I was trying to export it onto um, a file, an external hard drive, and it was a Lissy drive. And this is one thing that just bugs me about iPads still, especially the Pros. We got that USB-C port, but when I transfer footage off of or onto the iPad Pro, I get just a little spinny thing, an indicator, but it doesn't tell me how much time is left. So my iPad battery was sitting there dying, and I chronicled this on Twitter a little bit. You can go back and see uh, the tweets. <laughs> it's like I had 9% left, and then pretty soon it was like 5%, 3%, 2%, and it was like, is this file going to finish transferring? I have no idea. Or, or was it pointless? Well, it turned out to be pointless because my iPad died before the transfer could complete. And it's just one thing. I just It's a small thing, but it's a big thing. If you're going to do some real serious media work on here, we need some kind of indicator to let me know just a simple thing, how much time is left, you know? And then you can compare that with the battery. And that's another good point here is like, I can't wait for that new Magic Keyboard to come out for the iPad in May because it's gonna have that extra power, um, pass-through power USB-C port, which will then free up so I could be charging my iPad, which would free up that port to then do some transferring and stuff. Anyways, I did finally get it off. Um, stupidly i didn't plug in my usb c to usb c cable and just transfer it straight to the mac while charging uh should have thought of that in the first place oops but i have to say i'm really loving uh this ipad uh, i got the 12.9 inch this year i had the 11 last year i guess i still have them and I'm, I'm still using them i'm using them both on the desk right now and i love it but i got the 12.9 inch this year because i'm parked at the desk most of the time and i knew i wanted that extra screen real estate for sidecar among other things um, but i have a really awesome dual setup happening right now where i've got the ipad i'm using the trackpad and i'm using a mouse too and my ultra wide and so i can just seamlessly switch back and forth between my ipad and my mac for a workflow and i'm finding there's all these advantages to not just having sidecar and just using the mac and not just using just the ipad side of things but to use them both simultaneously at the same time just for one example and I, maybe i'll make a video about this because i've seen a lot of feedback where people are just asking me for that video but one example is i'm able to take a screenshot with the apple pencil with that shortcut where you swipe up from one of the bottom corners uh to take a screenshot on the ipad which has a really nice high res resolution screen because actually when I take a screenshot on my ultra wide, my super ultra wide, that is not very good resolution. I can't even really use that in a video. So I either have to do it on the Mac screen itself because it's so nice or the iPad. The iPad works too. But if I take a screenshot there with the Apple Pencil, then I can mark it up really quick and then just airdrop it over to the Mac um, and stick it right from the airdrop right into Final Cut Pro. It's just there's some really cool things, um, some benefits that I'm finding to using both. And so I'll probably make a video about that, like I said, sometime soon. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, 
I guess I could just say one thing before moving on. I got some interesting feedback uh, about the last episode of the podcast, which, as you know, if you listen, it was kind of a special edition, one-time kind of thing, talking about my worldview and stuff. And I have to say, I really haven't gotten any negative feedback yet. And I'm surprised. Probably because just not enough people have heard it, (laughs) is what I'm guessing. But I have gotten a lot of positive feedback, and I appreciate that. So thank you, and thanks for listening, you know, just anyways. All right, let's pop into the Apple news and and discuss some stuff. The stuff you care about. And tech news, not just Apple, some tech stuff too. Well, here's something. Here's sort of like some big news recently. Apple acquired my favorite weather app, Dark Sky. Uh, This was super unexpected, and personally... I just, I'm being honest here, and this is an Apple-themed podcast, so probably no one's going to be like, boo, but personally, I'm excited about this. I don't know why Apple did it, really, but I do know that I use Dark Sky instead of Apple's default weather app for, I mean, for years. I found it to be a lot more accurate, although it seems like that accuracy has been slipping in recent years, and I just like the interface and the things that I could do. I liked that I could set uh, different notifications, like if it was going to be really windy at night, uh, then I could have an alert that said, hey, the wind's going to be above 10 miles per hour or whatever. Because sometimes we happen to live in a place where there's a lot of wind, and it's just nice to have a heads up. Oh, it's going to be one of those nights. But there's just, the interface was nice. I I like the features. So, but the other side of the story is, so so let me just say, uh, Apple, whatever they're going to do with it, whether they're going to integrate it, make it their default app, kind of merge it with what they have, I don't know. It's probably going to be a good thing for Apple users. But, you know, there's two sides to every story. There's a lot of people on the Android side who are like, what the heck? There goes my favorite app now for weather stuff because Apple's going to discontinue that after a while. And actually, Dark Sky was much bigger than just an app on either the iPhone side of things and the Android side of things. It also had an API, which a bunch of other apps use like carrot weather for instance um they relied partially on dark sky for some of their information from what i understand it wasn't their only source but it was one of the sources that um carrot pulled from to you know power their app and there were other developers too and and people using that api and that api is going to get discontinued after what i guess is a pretty generous amount of time i think it's over a year So there are a lot of people that are kind of excited and there's a lot of people who are kind of mad or upset, kind of miffed. And I get both views. Like, I understand both of those. On the miffed side of things, uh, the guys over at Tile, I understand, have been... I, I take it. The news popped up about them doing this. I haven't actually dug into it, so don't quote me, but they've been very vocal, it seems, after this news was announced about Apple being anti-competitive. So this, you know, what would be seem like a little thing is actually kind of stirred up a bit of a hornet's nest for people. But it's done, you know, it's happened, it's happening. And I'll just say, I'm I'm excited. Whatever Apple's gonna do with it, from an Apple user standpoint, I, it's gonna be cool. It's just gonna make things better, I think. Because I would rather have things integrated at a system level, uh, I guess, for each device and in, in, in the ecosystem than having to open up just another app, you know. And maybe there's some cool stuff 
planned that we can't even think about or dream up right now. So we'll see. Oh, I do want to revisit something on the 2020 iPad Pro real quick. I wish I had known about this for my review, but uh, it came to light just today, I think, that Apple has this feature built into the 2020 iPad Pro, which would make a great reason to upgrade. It's maybe like one of the coolest features even, but it flew under the radar for a while here after the launch. And that is that when you close um, uh, MFI made for Apple um, compatible case or cover on the iPad Pro, uh, including Apple's cases, it physically disconnects the microphone so that software can't be using it in the background to listen in on things, which is awesome. This is like amazing. I mean, Facebook's not going to like it. Maybe Google's not going to like it. <laughs> but I like it from a consumer standpoint. That's cool. It's like spy tech, you know? I saw this thing for an Alexa speaker the other day that was like 40 bucks that would automatically mute the speaker on your Alexa smart speaker, but then it's like, how can you trust that it's actually muted? You know, even if it says it's muted and the little light turns off or whatever, but how do you know it's actually muted? But in this instance, there's a physical disconnect. Like the microphone cannot even be used when it's disconnected. So that's a really cool feature. Uh, and I just, again, I wish, uh, I'm just like a day late. I wish I could have included that into my review, but it's something cool to know about. Are you guys fans of The Office? I mean, a lot of people are. It seems like you kind of either love it or hate it. When I used to see it on TV, like 15 years ago, or however long it's been, uh, I would be like, oh, The Office, and I'd click away because I, I didn't, I wasn't really interested in it. But it took a few shows. Once I started watching it, you know, in binge mode because someone recommended it, it took a few episodes for me to like settle in and, and actually like it and get to know the characters. That's That's like... My wife's always saying, like, if you just take the time to get to know people and spend enough time with them, then you can really understand people. <laughs> works for TV shows, works for real people. But it's true. I, and I kind of came to like it. It's become one of my favorite TV shows. But I saw today, you know it's leaving Netflix or whatever. And it's going to get locked down in the NBC app shortly, soon, which is really lame. How many how many apps, you know, can you subscribe to? It's just going to – it's so splintered now. I really don't like that. But – I happened to see that it was on sale today for uh, the HD version, digital HD version, for like 30 bucks. And for a second, I almost thought about, hmm, is that something worth buying? Because I know I'm not going to subscribe to NBC's thing. And I know at some point I'm going to want to watch it again. I've already been through it like three times or something, right? But I know I might want to watch it again. But if it's only in HD, you know, hmm, that's not cool. But it's like, something's better than nothing, though. If I want my office fix, HD's better than nothing. So I don't know. It's like sort of a conundrum I ran into. I don't think I'm going to end up buying it, though. Because normally it's like 70 or 80 bucks. So this is like a major sale. But I don't like the idea of having to buy the stuff. I'm, I'm used to the rental model. I just want everything, you know, available for one decent price. And we're back to like... Cable got like unbundled and now we're sort of, I'm finding that I don't really love the splintered model, a la carte model necessarily either. Like Netflix, I don't ha hardly have anything to watch on Netflix anymore. I quit subscribing a long time ago because they only ever have like four good movies at any given time. And they have a lot of original content. I just don't like a lot of the content Netflix is pumping out. It doesn't interest me. So I don't know. This is a weird thing.
Maybe by the end of the day, I'll have bought this. I don't know. It's through iTunes, by the way. What would you do if you had a show that you really like? It was going to be locked away in the vault. You didn't want to subscribe to it, but it, had it. it was really cheap somewhere, but only in HD. Like, would you do it? Something that's kind of uh, caught my eye, which I'm wondering about, is uh, I saw this week that YouTube's coming out with a TikTok competitor called Shorts. And uh, I know this isn't really Apple related, but it's kind of tech related. We all have phones. We, you guys obviously like YouTube, you know. And as a YouTuber, it's just like, huh, what is that? So this Shorts feature is going to be some kind of music-driven um, TikTok competitor that's going to live in the YouTube app is what it sounds like. And it sounds like it's a done deal. It's coming out. And I don't know. I'm sort of interested to see like what it is and what it's about because um, for several reasons, I just kind of had some problems with TikTok. It wasn't a place that I wanted to go and hang out. And I understand it was like a really great place to go build a new audience. Um, like my dude, Trey Little, who did the theme song, which you didn't get to hear today, <laughs> which I butchered. Um yeah, he blew up over there on TikTok. And uh, Gary V was pushing it. It's like, <clears throat> if you want to get in on social media, that's where there was just such a huge amount of opportunity. But yeah, it's just, it wasn't for me, I don't think. But I, I think that, and, and by the way, like at where I'm at with all the media that I'm already producing, it's like that one extra thing, I really would need a, a bigger team to help me out, to push out all that content in in more places in a more serious way. That's kind of where I'm at right now. But if YouTube integrates something similar, then I don't know, maybe that's doable. And by the way, for for me, there's like appeal there because then I don't have to go rebuild an audience somewhere. That happens to be the place where I have the biggest audience already anyway. So if that was like built in, then maybe that would be kind of cool and exciting. I don't know. But on the other hand, you know, these companies, these apps, they always like copy each other. And sometimes the copies work and sometimes they fail. Like when Instagram copied the stories feature from Snap, that worked. People really like it and use it. It's like one of the best things in, in Instagram right now. But there have also been a lot of features that have just not caught on like that. So I don't even know. Would it catch on? Would it not? And then would I even be any good <laughs> at creating that kind of content? Like, most of my content, I found out I'm not like a great entertainer. I don't feel like necessarily. Maybe some people would disagree, but you know, like it's not my thing to be funny really, but more about being useful. I feel like that's kind of where I shine. Practical stuff. Like, you know, people need entertainment, people need practical. So I just live on the practical spectrum. But, anyways, it's coming up and maybe, uh, I'll actually find a cool, good, creative way to use that. I, I do like creativity, though. I know you can get really creative with that TikTok format. So we'll see. Be on the lookout. And also, if you have any ideas for me, hit me up there, too. Or, you know, what's more likely, maybe Chris will just end up making a fool of himself. Probably. Oh, two things that I want to talk about in this episode here, just to touch on briefly, was just one of the benefits for me about Apple stuff is just the long-term usage and uh, support that Apple provides when you buy one of their products. Like if you buy a new Samsung phone, maybe you're not going to get support past three years or something, you know, but uh, a couple, a couple different things. And I've already told you guys, like my wife, she hangs on to her iPhone forever. I'm trying to convince her to get the new one that's coming out here. Uh, Cause she hates, uh, you know, just giving in and like updating too often 
She's the opposite of me there. Like, I would update all the time. It would be like, Apple comes out with a new color, update. But for her, it's like she wants to hang on to it as much as possible, which completely get in respect. But even so, it's about time to upgrade her phone because it's a little bit cracked. It's kind of falling apart. She's at it forever because she's sticking it to the man. But a couple of stories. I saw a story about um, a phone. I forget which what model it was. I should look it up, but I'm not going to. That An iPhone that was lost in a river or something for two months, I think. And it got found, and it still works. So that's great. Apple is building some quality products, if that can be true. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I just saw that uh, there's some 2013 and 2014 MacBook Air and Pro models that Apple's going to declare vintage and obsolete in April this month. So Apple kind of defines its vintage products as those devices which haven't been produced for more than five years. And the obsolete hardware is defined as any product that's been discontinued for more than seven years. So big difference between the two. And, you know, all kinds of things happen then. It, it has to do with what's eligible for repair anymore and a vast number of things. But but that's a long time for you to be using uh, a product, in my view. Apple has such good support for uh, these products that people rely on for years. And I just think it's really cool. It's cool to see that phone still working. And I've heard other stories like that pretty frequently where a phone has been at the bottom of some body of water for a long time and still works uh, an iPhone. And, you know, and then you just combine that with the software updates, how long Apple pushes those out and how long it can support, you know, these older devices before they're declared vintage or obsolete. It's just really cool. It's, it's a good reminder of why it's cool to be in the Apple ecosystem. It's like, yeah, sometimes Apple products are going to cost more than the competition a lot of the time, but you get a lot for that that people don't think about when they're just sitting there staring at a web page saying this one costs that much and that one costs this much, you know? Should we talk a little bit about uh, the Apple Watch? I think we should. It's been a little bit of radio silence for a while, and maybe you're out there like, I wanna, I'm sick of iPad stuff and iPhone stuff. Uh, and you know, I got an Apple watch and I'm wondering what's coming out and it's sort of been a lull for Apple watch stuff lately. And so I thought maybe we could talk about some of the things we know uh, so far about what could be coming in the Apple watch series six. First of all, when it comes to the design, I bet you can guess what I'm about to say. It's not going to be all that different likely than the series five, like no major changes probably in terms of just like the industrial design. Now that being said, I wouldn't be surprised if we get some kind of a new finish or a casing option or a different color maybe to go with uh, the Apple Watch Series 6. <laughs> would you guys buy a product red Apple Watch? That would be kind of crazy. I don't expect that to happen, but just a thought experiment. Picture it. You know, because last year with the Series 5, they debuted an all new titanium option so you know if it looks the same which it probably will it's probably gonna have some kind of newness to the material at least as an option from what i've been reading and seeing and hearing though uh it looks like where the big push is going to be for the series six is going to be on the health and fitness front of course that's sort of apple's focus anyways and really one of the big things that everyone's talking about is the addition of a possible blood oxygen level detector. And that's based on just some code that 
I think 9 to 5 Mac dug up. So, you know, blood oxygen was at about, well, if you have levels between 95 and 100%, that's considered pretty healthy from what I understand. I'm not a doctor. But if your blood oxygen falls below 80%, then maybe you're looking at a compromised heart or, or compromised brain functionality, right? So this kind of gets back to something I mentioned a long time ago where it's just almost like peace of mind to put an Apple Watch on your wrist when it comes to health stuff because every year as it can detect more and more potential problems, then you you just have it on your wrist and it's almost like a shield against certain things like an early warning system that can help you be aware of stuff that you wouldn't know to check for, wouldn't want to check for. Uh, it's just happening by default and that's pretty cool. So just that idea of peace of mind is going to probably keep getting enhanced with all these new uh, health benefits and features. Something else that is rumored to be coming is official sleep tracking. Now this is interesting because uh, you got to charge your Apple Watch at some point, which is the main thing that's kept a lot of people from trying to track their sleep uh, for a long time. You know, the battery has improved, but for a long time, people would have to come up with these crazy schedules in years past. Like, I can charge it here during this time of the day. I can wear it here, and then I'll wear it at night, and then I'll charge it again here when I'm getting ready in the morning. It's like, and you, it required the schedule. I don't think it's really at that point um, at the moment, like you can get away with it if you want to. And for several years as a tech reviewer, I had, uh, you know, some extra Apple watches laying around and I could just switch off. I had one that I could wear during the day and one, the older model that I would just wear at night, you know, for the sleep tracking. I don't really do that anymore, but it's just too inconvenient. So for sleep tracking to actually become an official feature, I think that'd be really cool. And I'd be excited to see how they would do that. It's one of the most requested features. I think that people want to use it for. Um, here's just a little bit of what 9to5Mac had to say about it. While asleep, the Apple Watch will track the user's quality of sleep using its multiple sensors and inputs, including the person's movement, heart rate, and noises. Noises. <laughs> Data about the user's quality of sleep will be made available in the health app and in a new sleep app for the Apple Watch. And see, that's the thing that, that really leaked already, that sleep app. We've known about that for a while. And it sounds like, and I could see this being the case, that that new sleep tracking function is going to be more of a hardware-related thing rather than a software-related thing, meaning you will probably have to upgrade to the actual new hardware in order to get it, which doesn't that figure, right? Somebody out there is like, no, but that's probably the case, though. Um, and then, you know, I, that's, I guess, as far as hardware and stuff, that's probably what I, I've heard so far. But I think there is obviously going to be some new watchOS 7 features, but those aren't going to be just exclusive to the Apple Watch. Um, you know, you could still get that on this, I mean, on the Series 6, you could still get on the Series 5 or whatever, too. But, you know, uh, there's a rumored Infograph Pro watch face that's going to gonna have a tachometer. And so you can measure stuff like speed and distance with that. I'll never use it. And then there's supposed to be the new international uh, watch faces with country flags. I mean, that could be kind of cool. I don't know. It's not like necessary, but if you just want to further personalize. And the other thing is some new features that could be coming for parents and kids, like helping parents keep track of their kids. One of those things is uh, something called school time potentially, and that would allow parents to manage the apps and complications that could be used during certain hours, like class time. Of course, we're all in quarantine right now, so... I don't know, how's that gonna play out, but we'll see. Usually, Apple releases Apple Watch stuff in the September event or around there. 
I don't know how that's going to play out this year. Obviously, nobody does. Everything's kind of up in the air. So it could be expected around then, I guess, still somewhat. You know, we expected the 2020 iPad Pro to come out, and it still did. There was no big event, but it came out, and maybe that's just how it's going to be for the September stuff, too. Although for September, I'm sure they're going to have, like, some kind of virtual actual event. It's just a matter of timing. Is it still going to be the right time in September there? I don't know. Um, Let's talk a little bit about apps and app purchases and how much you spend on app purchases. <laughs> so, you know, Apple's like really getting into services. It's a big part of their revenue. But there's this new sensor tower study that came out. and It was, it was talking about how much people spend on average in Apple's app store. So here's the quote. In-app spending per U.S. iPhone grew 27% year over year in 2019, compared to 36% between 2017 and 2018, owing to continued market maturation and growing saturation, blah, 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 blah. But long and the short of it is that um, the average in-app spend per active U.S. iPhone is over $100 a year. So broken down by category, that comes out to like $53 in games, $8 in entertainment, $6 in photo and video, $6 in music, and $5 in some sense in lifestyle. Hey, I spend way more than $100 (laughs) every year probably in in in-app purchases. But here's the thing, much to my wife's chagrin, by the way, she's basically our uh, CFO and uh, I get reprimanded from time to time for overspending in various ways related to the business. You know, like every car needs the gas and the brake. And oftentimes I'm the gas and oftentimes she's the brake. We couldn't function without either. But yeah, I mean, I'll just give you an example. Well, and this is not really a fair number. I don't know what my actual number is, but being a tech reviewer, like there's some things that I just buy. Like when I do an app uh, video, I buy a lot of those apps and that adds up. You know what I mean? So a normal person probably wouldn't do that just to try something out. Uh, to cover to show but you know i do spend uh there's one game in particular you guys have seen me feature it sometimes badland brawl and they have kind of a monthly battle pass type of thing that's like five bucks as an in-app purchase and you know i buy that every couple of months uh or several months out of the year because for me it's like that's sometimes my main gaming outlet lately is on my phone and that game in particular and yeah if i was gaming on the Xbox right now, which I just don't have time for, I feel like. But, you know, you could easily spend like 60 bucks for a good game, you know. So I figure, you know, five bucks here and there over the year um, is going to be even less than that. You know what I mean? Anyways, it's just interesting. Uh, I wonder what you guys spend on average, the daily tech audience. Oh, one thing I, I definitely want to make sure you guys were aware of. This is just sort of a PSA. Uh, is that, and maybe you already heard this, but Apple is making Final Cut Pro and Logic Pro 10 uh, available as 90-day free trials right now. I think you got a pretty decent uh, free trial before. Maybe not. I don't know if it was like 14 days or 30 days, but it's 90 days right now for you know the COVID crisis. And look, if you have a Mac and you're interested in making anything audio-related, probably music mostly or uh, even podcasting or if you are into video stuff, um, these apps are really awesome. They're powerful, they're intuitive, and if you wanna, you know, as long as you're stuck inside, you might as well learn something new uh, and with these apps. They, they do cost, you know, 
uh, a little bit. I think it was, what is it, two or $300 for Final Cut Pro if you actually buy it. Um, but you can buy it once and then you don't have to buy it uh, again whenever there's a major update. I've, I've just been able to update it from version to version for years now for free. And I love that. And the cool thing is if you've already downloaded the 30-day free trial of Final Cut Pro, for instance, you can still take advantage of the 90-day free trial. So even if you've done it before and you've already used it up, you can go ahead and still uh, get this new 90-day trial, which is really cool. I mean, there's free versions of, of software that will get you by. You know, like iMovie uh, is pretty cool and just got an update, by the way, on the uh, iPad Pro with trackpad support. And I've been playing around with it and it's cool, but it's still just missing some features that I need from uh, Final Cut. You know, like LumaFusion, it's cool. I don't love the interface, but I just wish that it had stabilization. There's some basic things missing. Um, and I think you'll find that once you start using the pro level software, there's just some really nice things that you can't really do without. And the plugin system is crazy for both of these apps, whether it's Logic or Final Cut. So, I mean, this is the time. There's opportunity. We've talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. There's opportunity in these uh, kind of hard times to reinvent, to learn, and to invest your time. So I would take advantage of this if it's at all something that you'd be interested in. Uh, since it's kind of a, a big iPad week, I thought maybe we'll just end on this. Um, I saw a really great article from John Voorhees over at Mac Stories. Mac Stories is great. It goes so in-depth. It was called The Mighty Mini, Adapting Apple's Diminutive Tablet to Work and to Play. I thought everyone's concentrating on the iPad Pro right now, but there's a lot of people who either have a mini uh, or who are looking at the mini for whatever reason, budget, or they just want that portability. Um but, and I made a video about this, you guys could go check it out, but you can really push the mini uh, to do a lot of quote pro things. And so, and I actually, I really wish that Apple would come out with an iPad mini pro. I think that'd be so cool. The form factor of the mini, but with the design and features of the pro and speed and stuff, that would be amazing. But portability and the price, they're compelling for the iPad mini. And look, I still use my mini all the time. I use it uh, for, I know it's weird me talking about all these devices. I don't want you guys to think I'm out of control. It's just, this is my business. If I was a plumber, then I would have all kind of plumbing supplies, right? Or whatever. But I happen to be a tech person and Apple in particular. So I have some of these devices so I can review them and talk about them. But even though I got the Pro, I do have the mini and I use it. I use it for gaming mostly and uh, for like media consumption. It's become my entertainment tablet because I love that size. For reading, I read on there. But in the video that I made about kind of converting it and testing it out as more of a pro device, if you add a keyboard to it and get a stand for it, I mean, you can multitask on it. You can use the Apple Pencil on it. There's not a lot that you can't do on it. The main thing that's kind of weird is like working on a small screen but I guess there's no reason you couldn't stick it on a larger monitor, you know, output it and work that way. Uh, Vitici from Mac Stories, he has a great uh, iPad as a work station setup, and he does that. He outputs um, to the screen, which looks kind of weird. You get the bars on the side, and I don't like that. Apple desperately needs to change uh, how external monitors are handled for iPads, but you know, at least it does enlarge it, it makes it bigger, and that's a big deal for something like the Mini. But you could power for, for especially for like emails, for writing, you know, doing split screen and stuff, an external monitor, that would be great. 
Now, it sounds weird, but you can multitask in split screen and it's usable. And guess what? With the new trackpad, <laughs> you know, things like slide over that was kind of clunky before. That is so much better now, especially as I've learned how to use it. I got to give a shout out to Twitter for teaching me how to use it. I don't know everything about these things. I figure it out every time something new comes out, just like you guys. But slide over with the trackpad is so good. Mouse support is so good now. You could be very productive on an iPad mini. So if you're finding yourself budget constrained or if you just got one laying around and you're at home now, you're doing WFH, I mean, give it a try. Um, you could even just kind of start over and reorganize it, download some of the most powerful apps that you know about that you use on your other devices maybe or find alternatives. And the cool thing is when work time is over, you know, you can pop on a game vice controller or something and do some serious games. It's just such a good size for handheld stuff. But something like the Compass Pro from 12 South, like I've been using for the iPad Pro, um, that is a good little tablet and stand for this. And then you compare it with a nice, affordable Logitech keyboard. Now, one thing that you're gonna run into um, that's kind of annoying is maybe on the hardware side, there's no face ID on the mini, so you gotta unlock it uh, with your thumb or whatever. And you know, it's not a huge deal, but it's so much more convenient. Uh, with face ID where you can wake it up with a tap on the keyboard, you know, and it reads your face opens up You don't have to touch it. It's so nice And you know, there's no pro motion and it only works with that first-gen pencil But these aren't deal killers. You know what I mean? Like you can do it, it could be good for schoolwork I mean, there's even a really crazy bridge 7.9 inch keyboard that connects to the mini by Bluetooth and It looks just like a little laptop. It's crazy. It's really cool. Actually. I mean, you can still use IA Writer. I use that all the time. All my all my full productivity stack's gonna work here. Uh, drafts, which I save everything into, it's kind of my starting place, and I tag it. Uh, that works. Notion, that works. MindNode, that works. You can't tell me, you know, that you can't get serious work done on the mini, even though that's not really what it's aimed at, or that it's not, you know, it's meant to be more of a casual device, your downtime device. But it doesn't have to be pigeonholed into that usage you know and it actually it kind of makes like a good little notepad because of the size too you can you know the pencil does work with that and i covered this in a video at some point um you have less space kind of to work with in terms of you know i i think i end up writing a little bit bigger on there <laughs> uh or it just seems bigger because it takes up more space versus like on a pro or something but it's totally usable it's totally usable all right, guys, I'm going to wrap it up right here, uh, and I'll look forward to hanging out with you guys next week. Uh, I'm going to pop this into edit mode in Ferrite here and learn that, see how it goes. But you guys, give me some feedback. Let me know how this microphone and setup sounded. Like, would it be usable in a pinch? If you didn't have a higher quality mic, is it podcast-able? <laughs> uh, did it uh, bother you, your ears? You know, obviously it's not as good. And I did a demo, a demo of the audio in my review, too. If you want to see a difference between a lav mic versus the internal mic on the iPad Pro, but let me know. I'm very interested in your opinion, and we'll be back to regular recording next week. You guys stay well, stay healthy, and I'll catch you in the next video or podcast. Later.